This episode was first published on October 11, 2014. This is episode 40 of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. 40. The great number of testing in scripture. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights when Noah was in the ark, and Moses fasted in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights when he received the law. Joshua was 40 years old when he was sent to spy out the land, and the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Eli had judged Israel for 40 years when his time had come, and of course the Lord was 40 days tempted by the devil. There are many more 40s in scripture, but this will be our only 40. Enjoy! So, very broad question for you. New studio. It's nice. like it. No crickets. No cricket. Sunlight. Yeah. Should be good. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, what's the context of the book of Matthew? The context of the book of Matthew? Told you it was a broad one. Yeah, because there's a lot of ways to look at that. Of course, it's positionally, it's so important. Right. Why is it so important? Position? Well, it's very important because it falls right after Malachi, right? So uh, the fact that it falls after the book of Malachi, which began the long silent period of scriptures, you know, book of Malachi says at the end of the book, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Right. And the next thing we have in the order of the, of the scriptures is the, is the book of Matthew. And now, also, we have this period of silence that started with the end of the prophet Malachi. Right, roughly 400 years? Yeah, roughly. And, and, a long and, time. And, huh? A long time. A long time without God saying anything. Yeah. and uh, It's a lot like today. I mean, I guess we've had a longer time, but longer. silence, right? And, of course, the word of God is to the Jew. You know, it becomes to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile, as at Romans 1, 16. So. Right. But not, not not during the Lord's lifetime, which Matthew in part chronicles. Yeah, not it was still to the Jew, but it wasn't to also the Jew to the Jew only. Gentile. Yeah. To the Jew only. So the first thing that ha- that really jumps into the characteristic of Matthew is how Jewish it is. Mm-hmm. And people have overdone that, but it, there is some thought out there that Matthew may have been written also in Hebrew. I don't accept the thought that it was written in Hebrew and translated into Greek because we have the authentic, you know. Yeah, I read that somewhere. It's probably on the internet. But very, it's been a long. The thought has been a long time, longer than what Al Gore invented the internet. And yeah, well, we know the web is ninety-three. DARPAnet is probably early seventies. I think maybe late sixties. Whenever Al Gore thought of it. But I think it's been around longer than the Department of the Army's. uh, networking Network. system. Yeah. The idea is that it's so Jewish. Now, when I, and I used to think that way because basically I was taught that way. Mm-hmm. But when I had enough time to think through the Gospels myself for their content, I happened to find John's Gospel far more Jewish in that sense. Really? Than Matthew. Yeah. So maybe break down what you mean by it's Jewish. Well, uh, about who it's to, about, you know. The, the audience. Uh, the audience, yeah. It's about the audience. The audience uh, of the written work or the audience of the actual 
content. Yeah, good point. The content audience is defined as Jewish. We don't even have to discuss that. Right. You know, the Lord came, you know, he said, I'm, you know, come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's right. who he came to and came to his own, his own received him not. And I know that applies broadly to his own things, mm-hmm. which is the entire cosmos or ordered universe, but uh, specifically, specifically he, to he his came. own people. And, right. and we know they rejected him and that, you know, without having to drill down on that, content-wise, that's okay. all the Gospels. So you mean... To the Jew, the Jew only, there it is. That's of the content of it, but but not the writing of it, no. See? Now, the writing of it is to is to all of us. And so the account is to all of us, even though the events took place only among the Jews, with tiny little exceptions like, go away, Gentiles. Right. It's not your time. So, But that, that could be said broadly of all four. Yeah, and that that can be said of all four, and it can be said about just about all the book acts. So, right, yeah. So we we should get that and mm-hmm. contextualize it. But positionally, as the first book, by the way, if we want to just talk a little bit of technical stuff, sure. Every manuscript, there's just every you know, I mean, there might be one or two exceptions, but when we talk about the majority text, this is clearly the first book. So I mean, it stands where it does, evidently, clearly, positively, hundred, you know. Mm-hmm. I won't say 100% because I'm not a textual critic, and you know maybe somebody else will say, oh, there's this piece that has, you know, it's missing, or what. I don't think it's missing anywhere, but overwhelmingly positionally where it is. And as you know, I believe that the position of the books is inspired, and then of right. course I have a little problem with the way it comes out. Some but of the epistles, but speak to up. the importance of firsts. Is it really that big of a deal that it's the first book? The first book of the entire second piece of scripture, I think, yeah, I, okay. I, I think that is pretty important. And then I think it's very important how it's how it fires up. You know, it, it fires up. You know, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So it like hooks into two two key pieces of scripture that we should, you know, that jump out and grab us. David, yeah, Abraham. David, Abraham. Yeah. So it's intended to latch on to the what we commonly call the Old Testament. Books. Right, the ancient writings. Yeah, it's intended to latch on there perfectly. It's like a you know perfect fit into that. And then the well-edited and conceived genealogy of the Lord Jesus to prove that he's the son of David and the son of Abraham is given right. to us there to set us on the right foot. So you say, did you ask me the context of Matthew? So, yeah, you didn't have to go through all the content, but as much as you know, you want to. The context, want. yeah. So be- the context. See, the context is such a perfect fit. And who do we see before we see the Lord Jesus? You know, we see his birth, and then and then who do we see in the scripture? You know, we have the longest account of his birth here, and then who do we see right after his birth, where it's established who he is? Right, son of David, son of Abraham. The genealogy is given, we see that he's the son of of both, mm-hmm. okay? And then we see his birth, though we see the incarnation, and that's like the whole first two chapters. Then the third chapter, right away... John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is Elijah, if you believe it. He's Elijah to you. know, you could ask, who's Elijah to you? Well, I'm a believer, so John the Baptist is Elijah to me, you know? And if you're an, if you're a Jew that doesn't believe, we say, well, Elijah is the Elijah to you, and what are you going to do? Wait till it's too late and he comes, or wait for the next dispensation and he's one of the two prophets and you'll believe him then? I don't think so, because right now and we we know that the age we live in, if if you don't accept 
that John the Baptist was Elijah, then you don't accept the one that follows him. Mm-hmm. That's why sometimes I have a, an interesting conversation with Jews, by the way. Say, well, before we talk about Jesus, let's just talk about John the Baptist a little bit. What do you think, prophet or not? Because remember the, the Lord himself asked that question yeah, to the Pharisees. Lord himself asked that question. They, they conferred among themselves, and they say, well, if we say he is a prophet, then he'll ask us, why didn't you follow him in his baptism? Mm-hmm. You're ready for the Messiah. If we say he isn't a prophet, the people will stone us. Right. So neither we don't know. And then they came back, so we better tell them we don't know. That's what, literally between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, literally. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> so so they came back, said, we don't know. And Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this promise of of Elijah. The last thing said in the book of Malachi, here he he's going to come. Last word to the Jews. And then here in Matthew, it picks up. We see the birth account, but then we see John the Baptist on the scene. That's right. So, Which so, has a lot of characteristics of Elijah, right? Just even in look and feel of the man. The minute. Not just look and feel, but the entire ministry of the man, right? His purpose is to prepare the way of the Lord as Elijah's whole ministry. That's why he was taken up. You know, Elijah was taken up by the force of whirlwind because he has a ministry later. Hmm. So he's not done. He was just kind of temporarily done. As you know, I believe he was just whisked off right to the Mount of Transfiguration historically. Could we say in no time? I want to say in no time. And... uh, I did say it no time. You did, did twice. And uh, he and uh, I believe Moses as well whisked off right into the the first three and a half years of the, of the final seven years of Daniel 9, followed by the tribulation, the great one. Now, there's my concept of time and space that, 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 that God can move people forward. In. Maybe we can talk about Moses' body some other time. It's an interesting yes. conversation. Some other time, Moses will finally <laughs> die. I think maybe we have. Maybe not. Probably. Uh, maybe possible. personally we have. I'm not I sure don't we remember have all here. this stuff. We could ask your mom. <laughs> uh, and then the context. Now, that latches on to Malachi pretty solidly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it also takes out the, the most important points of Abraham and David. It just draws those right to our attention. Okay. Skipping, by the way, not referencing, by the way, and this should alert the Jews, right? There's no Moses there. Right. There's David, the king, and there's Abraham, the father. And uh, Was Moses the most prominent, the most uh, looked-upon historical man in Judaism? Oh, yeah, he still is in Judaism, but, you know, not in faith. Numero uno. Yeah, but, you know, Moses was a prophet. Abraham was a prophet. David was a prophet. Right. The greatest of the prophets wasn't Elijah. It's John the Baptist. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. It wasn't to, Moses either. Wasn't Moses. Yeah. No, it was John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets. So here's a Jewish prophet now. There's a Jewish prophet, John the Baptist, coming, and the spirit and power of Elijah to announce that the Lord is coming. So, sure, the context of, of Matthew as the first book is, is enormous in that sense. Yeah. And John's message is, repent ye, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Yeah, it also opens up to us 32 times, it's referenced in this book, this subject, the kingdom of the heavens, which, as you know, has been a very prominent topic and point of teaching in, in the ministry that I've had over the last you know, few years, the few being about, I could say, 32 
And then one other place, maybe the kingdom of heavens is referenced, and that's in John chapter 3. Now, there I have... Now you're a textual critic. Now I'm a little (laughs) bit of a textual critic, yeah. Now I do very little bit in text because I... The English there is kingdom of God. I just... And, and and here I'll show you that I'm okay. I'm not. I'm a little bit of mystic, but not too much. But I do believe in Bible numerology. I, I don't wouldn't say I'm thoroughly studied in it, but I do believe in it. And I just think that thirty three three times eleven uh, is much more what's likely. Ele- what's eleven? Huh? What's eleven? Eleven is a, one of these combination numbers. You know, it's five and six. It's grace and man. So maybe we'll numerology. I don't know. Maybe we'll take up numerology. You're you're giving me topics here. Okay, but if you're going to take up numerology, I'm going to put a little reservation in here. I need some advance warning. Okay. So I Fair have enough. to disclaim a lot, you know, on something like that. Sure. But I have to. I can disclaim a little less if I have some advance. Numerology, warning. by the way, incredibly distinct from the Bible code. Yeah, not because some people will think that's the same thing. Yeah, not to be confused because now we're letting computers study the Bible for us, and no, not to be confused with that. But the um, numerology, the generic idea of numbers have meaning. Yes, numbers have meaning, and there is some evidence of numeric footprints in Scripture. Okay. Okay. Let's let's earmark that because we'll definitely take it up. I know people get titulated by that because they'd rather hear that stuff and read the Bible, so we'll just <laughs> well, set that aside for a moment. But uh, the kingdom of the heavens, right. I do think it is the primary new topic of the New Testament to the Jew, that there is this kingdom of the heavens, which is a unique term, it's mm-hmm. a different term than the kingdom of God, and it can be a morally neutral term. The kingdom of God is always morally good. When we talk about when the Lord says you're not far from the kingdom of God, he means you're not far from a moral good. Yeah. You know, you're not far from an accurate assessment of God's plan for the world. You're not far from being personally in fellowship with God. That's the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of the heavens can be morally neutral. And by that I mean it is what the kingdom of the heavens, it's what it is. It is the state that it's in, yeah, and it can be in a... It can be in a state of conflict, which is the way it's introduced. The kingdom of the heavens is the circumstantial truth of a heavens in conflict. And that's what Matthew really is about. And and Matthew also introduces, I could say introduce and I can say reintroduce both. I can say Matthew introduces mystery teaching, but it really reintroduces mystery teaching, which is found only as a primary thing, maybe entirely only in the book of Daniel, which prophetic book the Jews haggle over, and many of them don't want it even in the scriptures because it's just too difficult to understand, and it's too mystical, and it's just too mysterious. Well, Matthew's mysterious. Matthew is You don't think Isaiah is mysterious? I think Matt, I think Isaiah is extremely difficult. <laughs> okay, that maybe that's what it is. To me, it's mysterious. Okay, well, we could go back to Ezekiel too. Right. All well, right. we should go back there. We, at some we, point. we will, but not today. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm getting ready for that. Okay. I know, I you let me know when you're to. ready to talk about that again, because I'm oh, ready. I know you threw one of those sliders at me. I yeah. Did not reach it. it was so when you say mystery teaching, is that a specific thing? Yeah, mystery teaching is a specific thing. You know, mystery is secret teaching. It's teaching of secrets. It's secrets that are unveiled. 
that are given to God's people to understand, but they're given in such a way that only God's people understand them. Hmm. They're out in the clear, but you can't get them unless you you have the Spirit of God. Exactly. And mystery teaching has its negative, it's got its bizarro world in the world. Yeah, isn't all a lot of the occult stuff around? Yeah, it's mystery stuff. I mean, the mystery cults, and the, you know, which exist today. I mean, astrology fact, stuff becoming more and more prominent today. You know, mystery cults. It had a root in the Gentile world. I call it, you know, a bizarro world of of mystery teaching. Yeah, but then there's, you know, the true hierophantes, the true revealer of secrets, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the the interpretation of a dream. He had his magi right who were supposed to do that is that in line with some of these mystery i know it is it is these dream guys are derived these guys are and, and and they're the ones by the way that come together and converge on the birth of the lord jesus right the magi come yes that's in the first two chapters of matthew you know and 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 if you look at the world system as laid out in the book of daniel starting with babylon persia greece and then you know, the dissipation of the Greek Empire into what it is and the two legs of Daniel, forming uh-huh. feet and then toes of the final kingdom. So they couldn't get his dream. Like, they were stumped. But they have some knowledge. It's, it's interesting what happens, okay, because what actually happens at the time of Daniel is Daniel becomes the chancellor of the University of Magi, you might say. Yeah. He becomes the dean of the faculty. First, he saves their lives by giving the interpretation of the dream of Daniel. Right, because Nebuchadnezzar was ready to kill them all, right? Yeah. And Daniel says, no, nah, not yet. You know, give me a little time so I can get the interpretation. And he did, and he came. Mm-hmm. And we have it. People ignore it or never learn it, but there's still, the entire It's still history. a mystery today. Huh? I said it's still a mystery today. Yeah, it's a revealed secret. But we see With, them. You see them knowing about the Lord's birth and coming. I mean, not the same guys, obviously, but of the same ilk. And so there's some knowledge there. Well, yeah, magic. now they're descendant of the col- of the University of Daniel. You know, I mean, Daniel took over took over that. Okay. The, by the way, the Babylonian Magi, the Chaldees, that whole deal, the Chaldeans. Right. The Persians kept that. The Persians integrated that into their, you know, economic empire that they built, which that's what Persia was known for. Okay. Alexander the Great kept it. Really? Yes. So it's kind of been kept alive. All the things that each empire brought are kept alive. The Babylonians brought that religion piece. Hmm. That, that, that kept alive and, and was absorbed into the Persian Empire. Persians brought the economic developed piece, roads, waterways, trade, you know, made a huge economic power and then began oppressing the Greeks with it. And out came Alexander to whoop them at Salamis and... The rest is history, literally, as he extended his empire up to the edge of Afghanistan and to the edge of India. Mm-hmm. Then he died suddenly, just a month before he turned 33, the age of the Lord died, and uh, his generals parsed that out into, into four pieces. And the Greeks brought the military piece. You know, Alexander brought military technology that was just too great for his opponents, these are all important facts to know because when the Romans came in, yeah. whatever that really is, the amalgam of, we call it the Roman Empire, but when we do that here in the West, we forget about the whole East. you got to take the whole piece into, and it lasted a lot longer than the Western Empire did. you got to take that all into account. 
and probably realize that east and west are divided, even though they meet in Macedonia in the gospel. Right. Was, we, went west. Went west. Yeah. As J. Vernon McGee said, had it gone the other way, we'd be the Hindus. All right, so, you know, east and west is divided down those legs of the image and into the feet, and the toes will come out soon enough, uh, which is both a sad and happy occurrence. But the mystery teaching of Daniel prophesying that and about the kingdom of the heavens, Mm -hmm. you know, what did Nebuchadnezzar need to learn when he was isolated for seven years as an animal of some kind, lived that way, when his brother-in-law had to take over the kingdom because he was exiled by God? He had to learn that God ruled in the earth, that actually the heavens do rule over the earth. Now, he had to learn it morally correctly, right? The kingdom of God. Yeah. But morally incorrectly, the heavens still rule over the earth. There's an angelic allocation in the heavens. Angels have principalities. They are powers. They are the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's an angelic formation. Mm -hmm. This is all laid out doctrinally in Scripture for us, but it's also taught in mystery form. In Matthew. In Matthew. And so we begin now to understand secrets that, heretofore have been hidden. And so secret things now emit out of Matthew. The secret that the the Old Testament begins to become unlocked, and the secret things begin to be revealed Hmm. to the Jews, if they'll have it, which they won't. I say which they won't, you say which they won't, because we talk nationally. Right. But all the believers were Jews, right? All the believers were Jews. All the believers were Jews up to his death, there weren't that many. Looks like about 120 of them in the upper room right. after his resurrection. Not too many. But then thousands of Jewish believers, the entire church, right, is Jewish at that time. Right. So these things, they did get a hold. They did become known. People did now anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus. And this all opened up to us in the book of Matthew. It's all opened up to us in the book of Matthew. Now, not only are these mysteries, these things that have been kept secret, open up to us in the book of Matthew, but there's a heavy prophetic component in it to tell us what's going to be the time of the end. You get to Matthew 23, 4, 5. You see in 3 that God's going to, you know, woe is pronounced right upon the nation of Israel. 24 and 25 talks about their prophetic future, you know, about what's going to happen, time of the end, the coming abomination of desolation, things like this. Uh, so it, it sits it sits at the beginning of the New Testament to just seed plant all of what the New Testament will come out of. I tell people, as soon as they receive Christ as their Savior, I go, go read the book of Matthew. Hmm. Now, a lot of people say, go read the book of John. Of course, you can't say anything wrong. Right. Read, read any part of Scripture is fine. But I tell them, read the book of Matthew, go get, you know, understand Matthew 13, it's the centerpiece of mystery teaching, and will un- un- unfold so much to you that you can start hanging your thoughts around. It's to me, it's the beginning of the outline of Scripture. Hmm. You don't go wrong reading John's Gospel. I, I, I used to pass out tracts of John, uh, Gospels of John. Had little packages of them. Would go to door to door to university yeah. to dorm rooms, and you know, leave off Gospels of John. Nothing wrong with that or anything sure. like that. I mean, I've always said, you know, for new believers. 
Romans 1 through 8. Just just read there, that yeah, over and over. See, how can you be wrong? <laughs> you can't really miss. How, how, how can you be wrong? Well, you could say, uh, start, in, start in Revelation 7, then, you know, there you're, you might be a little wrong. Yeah, I say, well, let's have a look at Rev 12. You know, look <laughs> yeah. at that. You got it pretty much the center there. Look at that. Look at those signs. Right. Look how good that is. Uh, or drop them into the middle of Deuteronomy or something. Now, that might be kind of wrong. Yeah, or Ezekiel. Yeah. I go have a look at Ezekiel. I'll figure that out. So Matthew's Gospel to Beginning is a beginning book. It you know, and it this is one where you just read the beginning book. If you want to learn the Old Testament, you should probably go start with the beginning book, read the book of Genesis. Yeah. Truth. Matthew is the genesis of the rest of the scriptures and it uh opens up to us the kingdom of the heavens, and that's what we should be understanding early on. And if we understand the kingdom of the heavens, how they there's conflict in them, how things go wrong, why things go wrong, we're starting to become, we're enabled to be ready to understand the rest of the New Testament. Hmm. And then when we, we come to the book of Acts, which distills all of what's given to us in the, four, in the first four, uh, you know, it, it's a seminal book. It's like, okay, Matthew opens up, the story of the Word of God, the rest of the story of the Word of God that, that ceased with Malachi. And then you go ahead and you're, you, you you read it with the other synoptics, Luke and Mark, and you read the Gospel of John, and now you've got lots of information that gets distilled down into the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. It's a single conduit for all four books to pipe you in, as it were, to the doctrinal books beginning where you take somebody Romans 1 through 8. Yeah. So I think positionally, it's, it's it's a very important book. And, by the way, it needs to be read early on by new believers. Right on. Let's, uh, I want to bring up one point, and maybe you can just speak to that, and we'll wrap there. Uh, going back to the mystery teaching, especially as you said, Matthew 13, so important yes. there. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff the disciples didn't really get. I mean, specifically the, the resurrection, the Lord's death, you know, even... Even when he told him the Son of Man must be, you know, crucified, paraphrasing, and Peter said, you know, not be it not so be it far from you, right? They didn't really get that, even when it happened, you know. But they seem to understand the parables of Matthew thirteen. Yay, at least Lord. they said yes. At the end, there he says, you know, have you understood all these things? And they say, yes, Lord. Now I'm hoping they were being sincere there. I know, uh, except Judas. A, Judas didn't say yes, Lord. Right, this is the, the, the ones on the inside, right, right. we revealed some of the interpretations to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know as a teacher, sometimes people say, yes, I get it, and you're thinking, well, we'll so see. maybe they think they thought they'd get it, but pretty amazing, right, because difficult parables, of course, he gives them some interpretation, but things that, um, mysteries. Yes. And yet they, they tracked. And so. Yes, they track. That seems uh, pretty marvelous. You, you find that anomalous with the fact that they couldn't track the, resur- the death and resurrection of the Lord. Yeah, and just how you know so many of his teachings confounded um, even his own disciples and confound us to some degree. And yet these things, which you know are, are difficult to understand, they were there with him and they, they actually understood. Well, a lot, a lot of times we like to look back at the apostles with our understanding— and scratch our heads at how do they not know this? When you probably ought to instead scratch your head and go, how do I know this? Yeah. You figure that one out first. How do I know this? 
And then you'll say, oh, you know what? I know this because I have a whole lot more information. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then you can also even step a little bit further back because we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We can look at the entire span of time in history and realize that for these guys to be in faith, there's some stuff they had to not know. Yeah, because they were living out certain things that... You know, after his death and resurrection, they had to live with an expectation that he'd return now. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I mean, some people go overboard with that and say, yeah, they believed he had to come right now, immediately, but you could also say no, because they knew that Peter had to die, so as long as Peter was alive, they knew that, you know, he wasn't coming. On the other hand, certainly after James or Stephen, either occasion, you had to realize that, you know, Peter could die any day now because yeah. there are plenty of people, people out to are kill dying. him. Yeah. yeah. So now we're back to more immediate context. Well, yeah, but Peter could die this afternoon. The Lord could come back this evening or whatever they right. were thinking. Plus then you had the controversy of have the ones who died, are they missing the resurrection? Are they Not the resurrection, but the, the coming of the Lord. Right. So you have that. I mean, tons of... Tons of, of controversies, controversies. considerations yeah. uh, with the with the singular hope that they all had that all Israel would be saved here. You know, they're going to come around. Which, given how much we know, seems uh, hopeless. I mean, it was yeah, hopeless. of course, because that's like arguing about last night's baseball score. Yeah, but when you look at the numbers, maybe they, maybe they weren't numbers people, but, you know, 3,000 at Pentecost. Yeah. There were probably millions of people there. How could I mean three thousand is not? You're saying that was nothing. I'm saying how are you going to get from that to a hundred percent when so many people had Peter preaching because, boldly well, to them the, and the they way just you walked think away. that is because we're so zealous and we're telling everybody and then they'll tell everybody and the next thing you know everybody's saved. Yeah. It's you know you just start thinking about how things go viral, right? The other way to look at that, you say, well, 3,000 out of the millions that were there, but the one of the 3,000 guys tells you, well, Jared, look, we're all here. Why are we all here right now? Why did this happen at a time when the whole nation was here if it wasn't that God wanted the whole nation to hear and believe? Yeah. And he did want the whole nation to hear. And right. You couldn't really argue that he didn't want him to. Right. So I suppose there were those that said, yeah, but I've talked to a few guys now, and I don't think so. Cause yeah, like— You'd think Paul would be like, man, all these people are trying to kill me. There's no way they're going to turn from, you know, that being so anti to receiving my message. But now you're all clear out to the Paul. Well, I'm just hopping around. Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, I Paul guess, could say, well, it ha you know, I turn around. Right. And he was the one who was about going about uh, and jailing and, and killing believers. So persecuting the church. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, my point there is not so much that they shouldn't have, they should have been smarter, just that we have so much knowledge that we it's hard. We have so much more information than they Yeah. Have. We have so much, by the way, we have so much more information and so much less faith, but we have a lot more information. Yeah. And I say so much less faith because, look, I mean, these, these people gave their lives, you know, you've not suffered yet under blood, you know, resisting sin. Yeah. I thought of that very thing this morning. I, I have not yet suffered under blood. Although I know there's some people that would like to see some blood. 
but yeah, I mean, it's 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 very difficult to unlearn something. And say, what would I be thinking if I didn't know? It's like yes. playing yourself in chess. You all, you know what you're thinking, <laughs> and you can't. You know, maybe when Alzheimer's comes around and you and you can watch the same movie and over and over again, you don't know. Maybe, but you know, you can't play yourself in chess fairly. You're always cheating because you always know what the other other colors. And sooner or later, you have to favor one color over the next. Yeah, and. You can't, you know, you can't un, you can't unknow or pretend to not know what you don't know, and actually come back with I don't know. Yeah, because you do. Interestingly, I think for me, but and studying the scriptures, the hardest part for me, and when I say like, what's the context of the Book of Matthew? Of course, that's a broad question. But as you read small portions, you try to put yourself into the mindset of those in attendance Absolutely. and those written to, and. I'm so given to just be third person and be this like person who's watching a thing. I have a hard time gathering, especially social constructs around the story, right? The historical stories and the teachings of the time. It's just really hard to get yourself into the mindset of, of what's going on and even understanding the realities of the situations, especially in the gospels. I think many times it helps to, to bone up on your Jewish backgrounds, historical backgrounds. There's guys that have done good work there. That, there's really some help out there. Yeah. I mean, the works of Edersheim have always been helps for Christians. That's funny. I was just talking about that with Mark his, the other day. Yeah, his sketches of Jewish social life, for example, for pretty helpful, not very often referenced book. Yeah. But uh, some of the ability to grasp the contemporary mind of the Jew of the day really does give you some insights and, you know, help you. It doesn't give you insights by itself, but now when you return to the Scripture with it, you're, you're armed with the ability to see some different shades and colors. And yeah, I was going to say it kind of provides an atmosphere around the scenarios that you're, that you're looking into. It helps you contextualize yourself, you know. We're, not, we're Gentiles. We're, we're already contextualized for Gentile things. Right. We have our unknown preconceived notions and ways that we understand things. We're also, you know, t- almost, you know, two thousand years removed from the society. Yeah. For for example, if you don't if you don't understand God's justice the Jewish way, if you don't understand how uh, you know how much on the sinner side God is, you will turn up very unfair systems of uh, jurisprudence. Uh, the Jews had the fairest system of jurisprudence possible because they assigned a judge as an advocate, one of the judges, to be an advocate of the accused. Hmm. So God goes overboard in his scheme to benefit the sinner. You know, God's not a Republican, and uh, he's not a big law and order guy like so many people are today. God's merciful to the sinner, give him a city of refuge, and one of the reasons, for example, that the Lord—and this comes out of, you know, understanding Jewish things. Yeah. One of the reasons the Lord was truly not guilty in his completely illegal trial was because it was a unanimous decision. And all unanimous decisions were to leave by the impaneled judge-jury was to leave the accused to go free because one of those guys is his advocate. Huh. So— my personal thought is that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who are both on that Sanhedrin, both voted to condemn the Lord in order to set him free by making it unanimous. 
And then the Sanhedrin, being wicked as it was, overlooked the unanimous decision and condemned him anyway. And that's kind of off topic. Yeah. It's an interesting thing that knowledge of, you know, Jewish mechanics and the way things work kind of helps you understand because you look at Nicodemus, he's secretly a believer, Joseph Arimathea goes and begs the body and buries him in his tomb. Yep. And you think, well, these guys are on the Sanhedrin. How could they vote Jesus guilty? Well, the way they could do that was to, you know, vote him guilty so that they knew they would set him free by doing so. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sure these intelligent guys, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, number one, Mm -hmm. right? Coaches poll, AP poll, unanimous number one. I guess not the AP poll anymore. They kicked those guys out. But all the polls, uh, you know, Nicodemus, number one teacher. Smart guy. Huh? Smart guy. Smart guy, respected guy, savvy guy. Has to be savvy guy. Has to, you know, really know the San, his way around the Sanhedrin. Yeah. For him to be like, on the one hand, he's got to be really, to vote him guilty, why would he? Well, he knows the Sanhedrin. He knows that, you know, he might be the only not guilty vote, and therefore the Lord will be condemned. Hmm. And probably Arimathea is saying the same thing. They talk to each other and say, you know, we we got to vote him guilty so that he can go free because it would be unanimous. Because they're all going to vote him guilty. They vote him guilty and then the same But then they're smart. They're smart too. And they think, well, we'll set somebody against it. Yeah, and very possibly they said, well, unanimous decision. He goes free. And then they go, well, King's X, not this guy. Hmm. There's a lot of illegal illegality once you learn the whole context around it that evil that exposes evil men. But that's just an. I'm just giving an example sure. of understanding of Jewish social structures and the way you know. Jew- it's helpful it can be helpful. It can be very helpful. Yeah. So last question. Say I'm interested in Matthew and I'm interested in the mystery teachings. I'm interested in the kingdom of the heavens, but I'm not really sure just from listening to this or my my own studies what the heck that really means. Uh, advice to a person who's interested in these things and wants to learn more? Well, there's help. There's help. We all get help. Okay. Um, we have help on uh, BibleStudy.net right. where these things are laid out. Matthew 13 is uh, a very prominent piece of, of BibleStudy.net, yeah. uh, and you can look up there and see what I have to say about it. The old Schofield Reference Bible had this right. Now, somehow... Talking about the old Schofield Reference Bible has become a pejorative uh, today, but nah, I don't care. But the old Schofield Bible in Matthew 13, for example, is pretty yeah. good. And, you know, as I say, Matthew's the introduction to the entire New Testament, and Matthew 13 is the key to the entire book of Matthew. So uh, since I've understood Matthew 13 to an extent, I don't think you ever fully understand it, but uh, one day I'll know. You know better. Uh, I still th- I think I know better today than than yesterday. But M- Matthew thirteen will then open up the entire scriptures to you. It's the beginning of the outline where it's possible for you to now have all scripture uh, given to you. So I don't think that can be really overemphasized. Mm-hmm. And there's help, and I'll offer the help that you know that that God led me to put up on the on the internet there at BibleStudy.net. Yeah, just uh, for those interested, BibleStudy.net, click on Free Audio Messages in the upper right, and then you'll see a list. Uh, the one we're speaking of is uh, Series 4, which is called Mysteries of the Kingdom of the Heavens. Yes. And that goes through all the parables of Matthew 13. Yep, that's it does.